Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans, and guest hosting with me today is... Virginia Allen. Welcome, Virginia. Always great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Today on Problematic Women, ousted Planned Parenthood president Lena Wynn has a public dispute with her former employer. We cover why she was fired, what they're fighting about, and what this shows about the abortion provider. The University of Georgia had a heartfelt tribute to the visiting coach who recently lost his wife to breast cancer. We talked to Heritage Foundation legal fellow and overall SCOTUS expert about the new Kavanaugh allegations, what they are, who reported them, and if there's any credibility behind them. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. Those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting our show by leaving us a review or a rating on iTunes and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. So let's get started. Former Planned Parenthood president Dr. Lena Wen had a public dispute with her previous employer this week. Dr. Wen was the president of the abortion provider for less than a year before being voted out by the organization's board for, quote, philosophical differences over the direction and future of Planned Parenthood. Many, including Wen herself, have attributed those philosophical differences to Dr. Wen wanting to focus on women's health instead of just pushing abortion. This all went down in July, but was not fully resolved until this week. According to the Baltimore Sun on Sunday, quote, Wen said Planned Parenthood is withholding severance pay and health benefits owed to her under her contract in an effort to get her to sign a burdensome confidentiality agreement on her way out the door after less than a year serving as the organization's president and CEO. Planned Parenthood, however, claimed that they were just engaged in standard severance negotiations. Negotiations continued through Tuesday until it was announced that they had come to an agreement. In a tweet, Wen said, quote, I am relieved that the dispute with at PPFA, their Twitter handle, has been resolved and I will not comment any farther on this private employment matter. It's not clear if she did sign a non-disclosure agreement, but she later did tweet, quote, as I said before, I will not be silenced as a public health expert. No amount of money will ever buy my integrity and commitment to the patients I serve. You know, Lauren, I think this is it's quite revealing of the character of Planned Parenthood. I think this is just confirmation. We've seen this before that at the end of the day, Planned Parenthood's number one concern is making money. And for them, that looks like pushing more and more abortions. And when threatened that, she was saying, you know, let's expand our focus. Let's look at women holistically. How can we be supporting women across the board through health services? And that wasn't very appealing to Planned Parenthood because at the end of the day, that's not what brings in the most amount of money. What brings in money is abortions. Yeah. No, you're so right. And especially, too, throughout this whole process, Dr. Wen is pregnant with her second child right now. So that's scary being withheld your health insurance that you were promised for not signing a nondisclosure agreement. So, yeah, I'm really glad you brought up that point, Virginia, that this shows that Planned Parenthood does not care about women. They they solely care about the politics behind abortion and making sure because that's their moneymaker. If the procedures and the smaller things that they do that actually help women they don't bring in money. We're going to talk about Abby Johnson in a minute, but in her movie Unplanned, one of the characters talks about it is that fast food restaurants don't make any money on the burgers. They make money on the fries and soda. the soda. Yeah. So so to them, the abortion is the fries and the soda and the actual women's health is the burgers. It's very frustrating. But I, in some ways, I felt slightly encouraged reading this story because I think 
as a nation, we're beginning to wake up to who Planned Parenthood really is. And I think this is hopefully just one more kind of nail in the coffin of Americans saying, well, let me let me look at this organization. Is this something that I actually want to be supporting that I want my tax dollars going towards? And hopefully that answer is no. Yeah. Former Planned Parenthood director and subject of the movie Unplanned, Abby Johnson, who we were just talking about, she noticed the story and she really felt for Dr. Wen. She released a statement to The Daily Wire supporting Dr. Wen and making a plea for her to join her organization. And then they were non. It's a great organization that really empowers mostly women, but anybody who works in the abortion industry, that there's a way out. You do not have to make money doing this. We will help you find a new job. We will make sure that if you're losing friends, you will gain a new support network. She said, quote, Dr. Wen has been horribly betrayed by Planned Parenthood. It's heartbreaking to watch her former employers throw her under the bus because she dared to question their commitment to actual health care. She then continued, quote, Dr. One does not need to go through this ordeal alone. I sincerely hope that she knows that she has an ally in me, someone who went through a similar situation and who has not only excellent attorneys, but also a vast network of support through my organization. And then there were none. And we would welcome Dr. One with open arms. I think it is so beautiful <laughs> that Abby Johnson has already reached out to Wen because Really, we don't know at this point if Wen's stance on abortion has changed at all. As far as we know, she's still very pro-choice. But I think it's it's really significant to see that Abby Johnson is still saying, hey, let's come together. I want to support you in this really turbulent season of your life. Let's have a dialogue. Let's have a conversation. We're sort of seeing this play out on this massive scale of, you know, Abby Johnson was a a director of a Planned Parenthood and when was president and CEO of Planned Parenthood. But for us in our personal lives, you know, we probably all know someone, a a friend or a family member who had an abortion or, or maybe who has worked at a Planned Parenthood. So I think it's a great reminder that with those people, if at points in their lives, they do become disillusioned with the pro-choice movement that we need to be there and ready with open arms to say, yeah, let's let's talk about this. Let's discuss this and kind of welcoming them in love, not not at all in condemnation. Well, we will keep you updated on this story. Planned Parenthood has not named a full time president yet. Alexis McGill is still the acting president. We will keep you updated with this story as more facts come out. Well, kind of staying on the feel good Terrain, Virginia, every week on the Monday episode of the Daily Signal podcast, you bring listeners probably one of my favorite segments that we do here. It's called the Good News Story of the Week. And I would definitely say that this next topic would fall under that category. Well, thank you, Lauren, for that pitch for (laughs) Monday's episode of the Daily Signal. Yeah, that's right. So this past Saturday, the Georgia Bulldogs played Arkansas State and won 55 to 0. But the game was significant not because of the score or any amazing plays that were made, but really because of the fans. The Georgia Bulldog Stadium was filled with pink instead of the traditional game day red. Georgia fans wore pink to honor the life of Wendy Anderson, the wife of Arkansas State coach Blake Anderson. Wendy passed away on August 19th after a two-year battle with breast cancer. And the idea to wear pink went viral after a tweet from Dwight Sandbridge encouraged anyone attending the game to dress in pink as a sign of solidarity with Arkansas coach Blake Anderson. Anderson struggled to hold back tears as he told ESPN, quote, I would say thank you to all those who showed up today wearing pink or thinking pink, Anderson said. 
They didn't know my wife, and they don't know me, and they didn't have to do it. I'm very grateful and honored and obviously overwhelmed. Thirteen fans even painted themselves pink and spelled out the words, Remember Wendy, on their backs. It was truly an incredible demonstration just of sportsmanship and of honor. And man, I was really blown away reading this story. And Lauren, you know, you are a huge college football fan. I am more of an NFL fan. (laughs) I grew up in New England. I'm a huge Pats fan. (laughs) Uh, But I did move to Georgia when I was 12 and went to high school there and all in all uh, lived in Georgia for seven years. I've experienced that high enthusiasm and kind of community that is around college football. And so, you know, probably if you were to ask me last week if I had a college team, I'd have been like, well... I guess the Georgia Bulldogs, but I was I was sitting there reading this story. I was actually on the Metro and I was trying not to cry. Aww. And I was just thinking, I'm such a Georgia fan now. <laughs> they won me over. <laughs> uh, I was just so impressed. It's just so beautiful to see that you know they didn't have to do this, but they went above and beyond um, to really honor Wendy's life and to respect uh, Coach Anderson. And I think the remember Wendy, it's not just, it's a bunch of college guys. Yeah. And I think the fact too to, millennials and Generation Z get this really bad rap that they don't care about anything else. And to see these, you know, maybe 20-year-old guys in these big pink wigs and their whole back has a letter on each one to spell out Remember Wendy. Even just seeing that brings tears to your eyes. It really does. It's it's pretty incredible. Now, being that you are such a college football fan. Huge college football fan. <laughs> You don't talk about it at all no. or anything. No. Uh, pretty much every week I, I try to pitch a college football segment for this podcast. And uh, most of the times people are like, Lauren, we need to focus on women's policy. And so they get next, but very excited that they collided this week. Yeah, this week you won. So have have you ever seen something like this before at a college game where there was just this incredible support of an individual? Or Yeah. So every week there's this program from... 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. on ESPN College College Game Day. There's a reporter on it, Tom Rinaldi. Any sports fans hear his name and just automatically start crying. He frequently reports on stories like this. But personally, what I remember, I, I was at the University of Central Florida, go Knights, undefeated national champions. Uh, in 2011, 10 years after 9-11, on September 10th, we played Boston College. There was a student at Boston College who played lacrosse who was a hero in 9-11 he literally ran up and down stories of stairs just saving people. And, and he had many opportunities to get out and save himself. But he continued to go do triage and, and guide people out. Um, and unfortunately, he never made it out of the building himself. But he was known for this red bandana. It started when he was a kid. He would carry it around in his pocket. He was a volunteer firefighter. He always had it when he played lacrosse. He wore it on his head underneath his helmet. And so the entire stadium at this UCF first Boston College game on September 10th wore a red bandana and they honored his sisters on the field. And just this sportsmanship of, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from or where you go to school. It's we're here to celebrate the young men on the field. We're here to celebrate the history of our our organizations and we're here to celebrate one another. Um, And that's just, I think, why college football has always meant so much to me and really to my entire family. It was something that my my father Ever since I can remember it, we've, we've watched football together. Um, and I think that's where it starts. It starts in the family, and then, then these teams become families, and then the fans become families. And then even then the different fan bases become families with one another. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think, you know, in our 
culture, it's so easy right now to focus on on how divided we are. And I feel like this is such a demonstration that maybe maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hope that we are more united than we actually think we are. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at this, Virginia. And and in our culture of, of red and blue, team red and team blue, to know that, that, that at the end of the day, that does not define us. And even the our college colors don't define us. Our skin color doesn't define us. It's our, our humanity. And I think that's what these fans really captured is is the humanity and understanding that this coach must have been going through so much with his wife. And the small fact of wearing a pink T-shirt could really make his day. And then you multiply that times 50 to 100,000 people. Yeah. It, it's just it's incredible. It really is. All right, Virginia, thank you so much for that good news story. We're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned because on the line, I have Elizabeth Slattery. She is a SCOTUS 101 expert, and she breaks down what's going on with Kavanaugh, what this New York Times story is, and what does it mean for the justice? It is easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. And man, I know that you might be just as overwhelmed as I am. So if you are looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. I co-host the Monday edition with my colleague Rob Bluey to bring you an interview with a lawmaker, author, or conservative activist. And of course, as was mentioned earlier, we kick off the week with a good news story. So if you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. Justice Kavanaugh is again finding himself in the news as yet another unsubstantiated sexual assault claim was reported on by The New York Times. To help me break down the story, let's get Heritage Legal Fellow, SCOTUS 101 host and problematic woman herself, Elizabeth Slattery, on the line. Hey, Lauren. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. So can you walk us through this new claim or actually claims against Kavanaugh? Yeah. So over the weekend, uh, the New York Times published an excerpt from a a book by two reporters for the Times called The Education of Brett Kavanaugh, an Investigation. And in the excerpt, there was a description of what they called new allegations from Kavanaugh's freshman year at Yale. And they breathlessly breathlessly describe a drunken dorm party where he apparently had his pants down and something happened. Uh, But then it came to the attention of of people, primarily on Twitter, that the New York Times left out a very important detail that was slipped into the book, that the alleged victim declined to be interviewed, and her friend said that she does not recall any incident like this ever happening. So this all seems to be um, just a nothing burger, and it doesn't seem like there's any there there with this alleged new allegation. So why do you think that they are coming out with this, and why do they, you think that people are still trying to dive in and, and put these women in these positions of making these allegations? Yeah, so I think we we know what this is really all about. This is about discrediting Justice Kavanaugh and delegitimizing him as a member of the Supreme Court. This past spring, Christine Blasey Ford's lawyer, Debbie Katz, was uh, on film speaking at uh, a convention where she said as much. She said that Christine Ford was politically motivated when she came forward with her story about Brett Kavanaugh and her allegation that he had tried to 
uh, attack her when they were in high school and said that they wanted to put an asterisk next to his name and that they felt that they had been successful in doing that. And, you know, that, that shows us what they were really all about. This is about politics for them. And they were, you know, capitalizing on the Me Too movement uh, to, to try to bring down a good man and, and, and destroy his credibility. And one crazy part of this story, and, and this wasn't in the New York Times, but Molly Hemingway reported it over at The Federalist. And if you haven't read Molly Hemingway's book on Kavanaugh, Elizabeth, I'm sure you, you share my opinion of it's just excellent. It, it, it reads like a novel. But in this article, she wrote um, about her copy of the book, The Education of Brett Kavanaugh, that the writers actually admitted that there was no evidence to support the allegations made by Christina Blasey Ford. But they wrote it. It was their gut reaction. And so these are really serious allegations to be making just based off a gut reaction. How do you think that compares to what Molly Hemingway wrote in her book? Well, Molly Hemingway and Carrie Severino's book, Justice on Trial, is it's a great book and it's thoroughly sourced. They did, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of interviews with people who were, you know, deeply involved in this process and in, in the entire confirmation of Justice Kavanaugh. So comparing that with, you know, someone's gut feeling that they feel like they believe what Christine Ford, uh, you know, the story that she shared with the Senate Judiciary Committee, you know, it, it doesn't really seem to match up. And I think there's a, there's another interesting thing that uh, is, is apparently in this new book, which I, it's just coming out this week and I haven't gotten a copy yet, but apparently they, they have some, some quotes from, uh, Christine Ford's friend, Leland Kaiser, who she says was with her at the party the night that Ford claims that Brett Kavanaugh and one of his buddies uh, tried to pin her down and assault her. And the friend who admits that she's a Democrat, that she, you know, would not be supportive of Brett Kavanaugh to be on the Supreme Court. She admits that uh, she has no knowledge of this party that Ford says she was at. And she said that the the entire story didn't add up to her, you know, that they would have been two girls at a party with a couple of guys and that one of them would have left the party without the other knowing where she went or how she got home or who drove her home. She said it just wasn't plausible. And Leland Kaiser also said that she had been threatened by people and she had been pressured by her very own friends, you know, like lifelong friends to try to change her statement. And she she stood by it because it's the truth. She doesn't had any recollection of a party like this happening, and it just doesn't sound plausible to her what Christine Ford alleges. That's just, it, it's crazy. And, and it's such a serious allegation. Not only are they calling this guy's character out, Democrat representatives and senators are actually pushing for Justice Kavanaugh to be impeached. Is there any actual credibility behind these calls? Well, you know, the, the Democratic presidential hopefuls were running as fast as they could to any camera in sight to, <laughs> to suggest that, you know, Justice Kavanaugh should be impeached. Uh, but House Judiciary Chair um, Representative Nadler says that, you know, his committee's too busy trying to impeach the president right now. <laughs> so they're not interested. And then, you know, Democratic leaders in the Senate, such as Dick Durbin, basically have told, you know, these people suggesting uh, that they try to impeach Justice Kavanaugh, you know, he said that they need to get real and that impeachment is not the answer to every problem. You know, impeachment is something that has not been used frequently throughout, you know, our nation's history. There's 
there's only been one impeachment of a Supreme Court justice. He was impeached by the House, but he was ultimately not removed from office. He wasn't convicted by the Senate. Um, so we, we've never actually had a, a, a true full-blown impeachment. And I, I don't really see it happening here. And Elizabeth, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how Justice Kavanaugh has actually been on the bench? Has he ruled like some right-wing tyrant like the left makes him out to be? <laughs> no. You know, before Justice Gorsuch and before Justice Kavanaugh were confirmed to the Supreme Court, we heard that they were going to destroy America as we know it. And that America has, has yet to emerge. Uh, we look at the last Supreme Court term, and it was kind of a mixed bag. I mean, justice, both, both justices appointed by President Trump, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, um, you know, they, their records have shown that they are independent, impartial judges. They actually disagreed in something like 30% of the cases last term. So it shows that they're not, you know, cookie cutter Republican judges. They are thoughtful jurists with independent views of the law. And sometimes that leads to even them disagreeing. Um, so I think they're, they're, they're both, you know, doing their level best. And, um, you know, I certainly feel for Justice Kavanaugh that, uh, you know, perhaps he, he felt like he was, you know, finally moving beyond the horrors of his confirmation hearing. Uh, but it seems like it's, you know, it's like Groundhog Day. It's just coming back all over again. Yeah. Yeah. His poor wife and daughters. I just can't imagine the repeated attacks on your father. And, you know, if this could happen to Justice Kavanaugh, it seems like it could happen to anyone. Do you think this is the new norm for justices or just really any political appointments? Yeah, I certainly hope that it isn't because, I mean, who who would want to subject themselves personally and their families to to this kind of process. Uh, you know, it's it's going to do our, our institutions a disservice if this is how people who are nominated are treated. You know, the, the best and the brightest may not step forward for, for these sorts of posts if this is the price of admission. So I certainly hope that this isn't how it continues. But it, it seems like the Democrats um, and and the people who are involved in, you know, in this hit job on Justice Kavanaugh have have not suffered any consequences. Uh, you know, there were um, people who it, it appears they may have lied under oath uh, to the Senate who, you know, nothing has happened to them so far. Uh, you know, Michael Avenatti is a great example. He had a client who did a primetime interview on net, network television, making allegations that were pretty, pretty clearly made up. And there haven't been any any repercussions so far. Now, it's my understanding the Senate referred that that woman and Michael Avenatti to the Justice Department uh, for them to consider possible criminal charges. But, you know, it's been almost a year and nothing's happened. So I think until there are consequences, um, no one has learned their lesson. And there's no downside uh, to there's no downside to to treating people uh, the way that Justice Kavanaugh has been treated. Wow. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. Thanks for having me. And uh, if our listeners want to listen to SCOTUS 101, I hear you're coming back. Well, yes, we'll be back in the, the next couple of weeks. The Supreme Court returns on October 7th. So look for our latest episode uh, around there. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Elizabeth. OK, we're going to take one more break. But before we do, I want to tell you about this great podcast 
that once you kind of binge Problematic Women and you finish and you're looking for more, you need to check out. Each week, Independent Women's Forum She Thinks podcast brings you fresh, relevant content in a fun way without the politically correct nonsense. On She Thinks, substance and style supersede political spin. Led by charismatic and one of my dear friends, Bev Hallberg, She Thinks podcast features some of the country's top women conservative leaders and independent thinkers. Independent Women's Forum is known for championing women's rights to be heard and respected without the crutch of the female victimhood narrative espoused by the mainstream media, special interests, and the Hollywood elite. Check out what all the buzz is about by subscribing to the She Thinks podcast wherever you get your podcast, or just visit IWF.org. All right, welcome back. I have Virginia with me again, and it's now time for the best part of our show, crowning the Problematic Woman of the Week. This week, can I get a uh, drumroll, Virginia? That was really bad drumroll. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. This week, our Problematic Woman is Baronelle Stutzman, a florist from Washington that has been leading the fight for religious freedom in the courts. Virginia, I hope most of our listeners have heard of Stutzman, but they haven't. Can you tell them a little bit more about her? Of course. So Baronelle Stutzman has been in the flower arranging business for over 40 years and is the owner of Arlene's Flowers in Richland, Washington. And in 2013, she was asked to make a custom floral arrangement for a gay couple's wedding. Citing her Christian beliefs about marriage, Stutzman told the client, Rob Ingersoll, that she couldn't create the flower arrangement for his wedding. It was a Friday, March 1st. 2013. One of my favorite customers, Rob Ingersoll, walked into the store. Rob's more than a customer. He's a friend. He's been coming in to me for over nine years for birthdays, anniversaries, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day. His arrangements were my favorite to design. They were really fun and challenging. We'd bounce different ideas around and he'd let me be creative and produce something that was unique and special for him. Floral design is an art and Rob gets that. I knew Rob would be coming in. He had been there the week before when I was out and told the staff that he and his longtime partner, Kurt, were getting married. I knew Rob would want me to create floral designs for their wedding. I love Rob, but I knew I couldn't do this. I'm a devout Christian. Baronel said that her and her husband discussed and prayed a lot over the decision and that it was a very hard thing for her to tell her friend and her customer, Rob, that she would be unable to make a custom flower arrangement for his wedding. After a heart-to-heart discussion with him, she recommended three other florists, and Rob left the shop telling her that he understood why she had made the decision that she had. However, that was not the end of the story. The attorney general saw a post Rob's partner had put on social media and decided on his own to threaten me to take away my livelihood unless I would create art for an event I didn't believe in. But I could never do that. I can't use the gift God gave me to violate my relationship with him. So the government and the ACLU sued my business and me personally for discrimination. This has not been an easy fight for Baronell. The case made its way through the Washington State Supreme Court up to the United States Supreme Court in 2016, who then sent it back to the Washington State Supreme Court, who ultimately ruled against her in June of this year. However, Baronelle is not out yet, which is why we're naming her the Problematic Woman of the Week. According to her lawyer, Kristen Wagoner, Kristen is definitely a problematic woman over at ADF. Quote, regardless of what one believes about marriage, no creative professional should be forced to create art or participate in a ceremony that violates their core convictions. She said, quote, 
That's why we have taken Baronel's case back to the U.S. Supreme Court. Go, Baronel. Keep fighting for what you believe in. And for your continued gumption, we are crowning you Problematic Woman of the Week. And obviously, you know, this this isn't the first time we've seen a case like this. Of course, we had the the Masterpiece Cake Shop case that came to the Supreme Court with Jack Phillips. In these sorts of cases, Lauren, what do you feel like is really at stake? It's that people can have religious beliefs and personal beliefs that are different than what's in the mainstream and not be forced to create art or create, you know, something that, that takes their intellectual talents. Bernal has said that she would be happy to give just individual flowers or really generic arrangements to Raw, but what she wasn't going to do is kind of custom create. And that's the same thing that happened with Jack Phillips, who who I've been out to Masterpiece, Masterpiece Cake Shop, and he really sees these cakes as taking a piece of him and putting it on the cake of his canvas. And what is kind of crazy about Baronelle's case is that she's not just going to lose her business. She's going to lose her entire livelihood. She's going to lose her retirement. She could lose her house. And I don't know if I could stand up and, and, and fight that, and especially for so long. I think at some point, I'm 74 years old. I'm tired. I just want to go home. And, and she's a great grandmother. Virginia, do you think you would have it in you to continue this fight for so long? You know, I, of course, I like to think I would. Uh, and really what I have to applaud Baronelle for is I think she recognizes that she could take some sort of settlement probably and just kind of throw up her hands and, you know, put out some sort of apology and pay some fines. And But she recognizes that this case is way bigger than her. And she is fighting for the religious freedom of generations to come. And as someone myself who has an interest in the wedding industry and it's on my uh, you know, life bucket list at some point, uh, have sort of a small wedding consulting planning business. I think about this and I think about these kinds of cases and, you know, what would I do if I was in this position? And it's truly incredible to see a woman who is a grandmother. You know, there's so many other things that she could be giving her time and energy to right now, but she's choosing to stand up for religious freedom uh, and, and to take a stand where it really matters. Congratulations, Baronelle Stutzman, for being Problematic Woman of the Week. And I really encourage you to follow her case. Look up uh, more information on both the Daily Signal and on ADF, which is Alliance Defending Freedom's website. And really just be talking to your friends about Baronelle. I know we like to talk a lot about on this program Taylor Swift and, and Miley Cyrus. But we should be talking about women like Baronelle, who we can really look up to. And that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition of Problematic Women. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world. It's not just about saying nice things about me and Virginia, but every five-star rating and nice review helps us be elevated and reach more people. So you really can make a difference. Yeah, please do subscribe and give us an awesome review. Now, after you do that, we hope that you have an awesome, a great week. This podcast is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Kelsey Bowler and Lauren Evans. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.